Hello, and welcome to Breadcrumbs, a podcast brought to you by Trace Labs. It's our mission here to facilitate OSINT for everyone. We'll be hearing from industry experts, community leaders, and everyday people about the tools, topics, and techniques that will make your OSINT collection better. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breadcrumbs. Today, I am joined by Nicole Beckwith, who describes herself as a security whatever. I would consider her a security expert and an OSINT expert, and I'm really excited for our conversation today. Nicole, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. We did a live stream like forever ago, um, and then I got to see your content talk. I follow you on Twitter, um, and I think you're a really valuable resource to the community. So I'm excited. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Definitely. So the thing that I think has fascinated me the most about some of your social media posts, um, some of your conference talks or other podcast talks, I'm really interested in your law enforcement background and kind of where you've seen LE intersect with open source intelligence. Is that something you could expand on for us? Oh, absolutely. Uh, two of my favorite topics. So yes. Um, so OSINT and law enforcement is, is pretty interesting actually. And um, you know, my background is in financial crime um, and computer crime specifically. So when I first got into law enforcement, it was one of those things where you kind of relied on the tools that you were given as an officer. So, um, you know, the Lexus Nexuses of the world and relying on the data that they had in their system um, or that we had, you know, in internal law enforcement systems. Um, and then there were a couple cases where I decided just to, you know, start Googling individuals. And that's really where, you know, my love of OSINT came in uh, to play. Um, so a lot of crime, if not most crime, has a financial aspect to it. Um, so I specifically uh, ended up focusing on, you know, corrupt politicians, government employees who were stealing money, and then, you know, of course, tax dollars from agencies. Um, I did, you know, everything from money laundering to federal RICO cases. Um, you know, RICO case, just think something like the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Um, and then a lot of people think that, you know, fi financial crime is boring. So we're considered kind of the nerds of the law enforcement world when you're, when you're digging into financial crime. Um, but for me, it really was uh, neat to work those cases because you, you basically can see everybody's life. I mean, think about your own personal bank account, right? Um, if I was to look at your bank account, you can pretty much tell where somebody, you know, eats, um, you know, their mortgage, their everything about a person just by digging into the financial records. So um, I learned a lot uh, as far as OSINT goes, you know, with the financial crime cases. Um, it, there's a lot more to a financial crime case. So there's a lot more paperwork. Um, it typically takes a lot longer because um, you have to work with auditors and, and several other, you know, agencies in the process. So it can take a lot longer. A lot of my cases took, you know, anywhere up uh, a year to, you know, two to three years, depending on the case and how big it was. Um, I, you know, background counterfeit money, credit card fraud, BECs with the secret service. Um, and so I used OSINT throughout all of these. Um, every day I was, you know, looking at 
anything from you know my suspects or my targets um, to the new types of crime and, and new ways to commit those crimes. Um, so a lot of open source intelligence daily in my cases. Um, first, it allows me to fully understand the person that I'm investigating. So um, you mentioned my content talk and, and in that I talk about you know profiling somebody. So that was like hands down the first thing that I would do when I started a case. I wanted to know everything I possibly could about the person I was looking at. Um, with that, you can typically get a baseline uh, for the person's attitude, their demeanor. Um, and that really helped me when I was interviewing um, and then sometimes eventually interrogating them. Um, I like to try to find their weakness, you know, their kids, their religion, um, you know, anything, their spending, their habits, their, you know, bad habits at that, um, addictions to try and find to use throughout that process. Um, so that's where I started with the OSINT investigation. Excellent. Um, something you said I've have never considered before, and maybe I'm just not a very considerate person, but every crime really does have a, or potentially has a financial angle. So almost every crime, except for maybe just a random act of violence is probably going to be a financial crime. With that being said, does every crime also have an intelligence angle? I mean, I suppose that's what an investigation is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there are whole databases of, you know, who the suspects are, their tattoos, their background, their known associates. So there's actually a lot of intelligence that goes into the background of a case. Um, and OSINT plays a part in all of that. When it comes to open source intelligence, um, I'd like to believe that it's becoming maybe a more acceptable form of intelligence when it comes to investigations. Uh, but what's been your experience over your maybe entire time in law enforcement? Like when you started was, you know, if you said, hey, I found this on Facebook, would they just laugh you out of the room? Um, to like today, do you see OSINT being leveraged more in certain kinds of investigations? Like what's been your experience? Yeah, so when I first started, um, when I would start digging in OSINT, uh, I definitely wouldn't get laughed out of the room. It was more like they looked at me, you know, funny and just wanted to know how the heck I found what I found um, and how they could do it too. So, um, you know, people just think you're a wizard and you wave some magic wand and this information appears when in reality it's out there for everybody to find. It's just a process and how you find it, how you go about getting that information. And so um, towards the end of my uh, law enforcement career at the state, I actually ended up you know, traveling the state and giving training to law enforcement on how to leverage OSINT in their investigations. And it, it was a very successful training and um, you know, widely accepted. And I still get you know, people that call me up and say, hey, remember that training you did? Can you do that again? <laughs> So I think it's it's definitely become the norm nowadays, and people are looking at that. Nice. Do you yeah. feel like as we become more and more connected as a society, as we become, you know, as more and more and more of our data gets collected, has the OSINT gotten easier? Or like, I guess, is there more OSINT today than there was maybe when you started? Or is it just easier to get to now? Oh, that's an interesting question because I, I, I kind of see both sides of the coin there, right? Um, on one hand, 
I think OSINT has become popular. So there are more people that are finding ways to leverage, you know, websites and, and find the OSINT that they need, the intel they need. But on the other hand, um, you know, the bad actors and, and the people that we're looking at are, are also aware that that's a thing. And they're starting to lock their accounts down. They're starting to make sure that they're not putting certain things online. So it is kind of a give and take there. Nice. Um, I always enjoy your stories. So I'm going to ask you for, ask you for a story if you'd like to share. Um, looking back on maybe some of your OSINT wins in law enforcement, is there one or two that comes to mind? Oh, there absolutely are. are <laughs> um, you know, there's always those cases that stick with you that you shake your head. Um, so let's see. I'm going to say, you know, so there, there are a couple. So, you know, throughout um, open source intelligence, you know, I want to know the motivation be behind the crime. And so when I'm looking for all of this intelligence, you know, I want to know, you know, who are their friends, their family, their hobbies, what they eat, what bars they go to, do they gamble? Um, you know, a lot of them, it depends on what state you're in, you know, you are uh, in touch with um, the casinos in the area and, and their security folks to see if, you know, they have a, an open card and if they, uh, they gamble a lot. Um, have they recently purchased cars? So some of the things that I'm looking for in financial crime is, is spending outside their means. Cars, jewelry, additional assets, um, new vehicles, any recent vacations or elaborate spending that would be outside the norm. Um, and then based on their salary, because we obviously are requesting their tax returns, doing uh, search warrants for tax returns. Um, I want to know if based off what they're claiming on their tax return, are they spending outside of that? Um, so there's all kinds of things that I'm looking at within that, uh, you know, to get a baseline for somebody and then just to figure out, you know, what the motivation behind the crime was. So, um, a couple of the cases that I'll talk about. So, um, couple sad, couple not so sad, but, um, one of the cases I had, uh, you know, was a guy who worked at a government agency. He was, um, stealing money from the agency they notified us at the state right away. Um, they wanted us to do an audit and figure out, you know, how much money he had stolen. Um, and, you know, they put him on, on leave right away. But I ended up through the OSINT process, his, you know, Facebook page, his Twitter page was completely open. Um, and I found this GoFundMe page. And on this GoFundMe page, it was just, you know, I, a horrible story about um, his child who, had a, a terminal disease and he needed medication for this child. And it was so expensive that, you know, based on his salary, he couldn't afford it. And so that was the motivation behind the crime. You know, he was faced with this, I either steal the money to get my kid this medicine that could potentially either cure him or keep him alive longer. Um, and so he decided to obviously steal the money. Um, you know, I can't say that I blame him. I mean, what would you do in, in, if you were in his shoes? Um, but that was the motivation behind the crime. So OSINT was in that case, you know, all that I needed to figure out why he was doing what he was doing. Um, another one, I had a utilities clerk who, uh, you know, I 
started investigating her. She seemed like an amazing person. Um, there was, you know, nothing in her background that, you know, she hadn't even had a speeding ticket. Um, and so when I was digging into her Facebook profile, again, she had it completely open. Um, I was able to see that, uh, you know, it was February, her mom had passed away. So I was able to see the obituary and see, you know, the photos of the services and everything. Um, and then lining that up with the timeline of her stealing from, you know, the utilities company, uh, it was two months later that she started stealing and she wasn't stealing a lot, which was really the strange part about all of this. So I, I you know, lining this timeline up and, and I always did that for my cases because I wanted to see, you know, how they were um, you know, doing things, like what they were doing, where they were, you know, going during that time to see if I couldn't find that motivation. Well, in this case, um, I was able to see through photos that her mother lived with her. And so, um, you know, her mom living with her, her mom passes away. I, in my head, am connecting the dots and saying, okay, her mom most likely was helping her pay for the rent, helping her pay for utilities. And then she passes away and she can't afford it. And so she's covering bills. And so I'm pulling utility bills, I'm, I'm pulling her you know, credit card bills, and I'm seeing that the amount of money that she's stealing is to the penny, the amount of money that's on her bills. So she was only trying to cover you know, her, her bills for the month. Um, and then I could actually see her pay that money back to the utility company. Um, you know, so there was this whole cycle and I ended up sitting down with her. Um, I one of my favorite things to do is is interview somebody. I, I I love talking with people in general, but for her, obviously, this was an interrogation because she was a suspect um, in this crime. Um, and you know, I sat down with her and I said, "Listen, you know, I don't think you're a bad person. You have just made some bad decisions, and we need to get ahead of those." So here's what I think is going on. You tell me if I'm correct. And by the end of that conversation, um, you know, obviously tears, she was just really upset that she had to even do this in the first place. Um, she actually hugged me by the end of this entire conversation and basically just said, look, um, you know, I'm really sorry. I want to pay it back. I know I'm going to have to pay for what I did. Um, but you know, this is why I did it. And so we walked out of the room and she shook my hand, gave me a hug and, you know, obviously she paid it back and, you know, she, she did end up getting sentenced for that, but, um, you know, she didn't serve any time. So it's all in how you use the OSINT to get ahead of your cases. On the flip side, you know, some of the you know bad cases that I've dealt with, um, I had, he was by all means a hacker, a self-professed hacker that uh, basically had started up his own company um, and was doing, you know, just IT work and fixing computers and stuff on the side. Um, all the OSINT that I did on him, um, you know, uh, pointed to the fact that he was hooked on heroin and he was just using this money to get, you know, his drugs. Um, he was advertising his business online, so I was able to find, you know, known associates, addresses, um, could conduct interviews. You know, he had his resume posted. He had actually a very impressive background. Um, and so I could, you know, look at you know, his past bosses and where he worked. 
Um, but his addiction was getting the better of him. And so he eventually um, decided to start his own company and was basically using his company to gather credit card information, um, steal people's credit cards. And then he ended up how he got caught and how this case you know, came about in the first place was he was using the credit cards to order food. Um, so somebody else's credit card, he was ordering food, which, you know, most people, I don't know about you, but if you don't check your account every day, you're not going to notice like a 10 or $12, you know, charge to like Jimmy John's or something. Um, but where he slipped up is he was having the food delivered to his house. <laughs> so, I mean, clearly we were able to see, you know, the address that all this food was going to, um, the police department was getting, you know, several folks that were calling in. And so through all of this, um, obviously he ended up doing some time um, for that, but uh, the OSINT and just going back to the very beginning was the interesting part of that. Real quick, um, I just wanted to jump in before I lost my train of thought, which unfortunately <laughs> happens frequently. Um, over the course of your stories, I've realized a really interesting difference in the, the uses of open source intelligence. So like over at Trace Labs, if our listeners aren't familiar, I guess they sh they should be though. <clears throat> um, you know, we're, we're, we're using open source intelligence to try to advance a missing persons investigation. So we're really concerned with connections. Who were they talking to? Who was talking to them? Where have they been? Where might they be going? Um, you know, who are they online? Are there, are there things they're posting on other accounts that might give some insight into a state of mind but a criminal investigation and specifically one with a financial angle seems to have a really different, I guess, OSINT angle uh, through all the, the uh, stories that you've told me. It sounds like OSINT helped you understand why someone was doing the things they were doing. And then that was a really important part of that investigation. Is that kind of a fair comparison? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, because you know, although there were times that I didn't know a motivation, so you know I was using OSINT to uncover stuff. Um, a lot of times with financial crimes, we already know what they did because we can. There's a trail, you know, a financial trail. Um, so I can put the pieces of the financial crime together, but I don't know the why. And so for me in law enforcement, you know, some officers don't care. They're going to file their case. You know, the finances are enough. But for me, it was really important to understand why they were doing what they're doing. And I really like digging into the financial or the um, psychological background um, to understand that that angle. And, you know, for me, um, you know, I was really successful at my interviews and my interrogations because I treated people like a person. Um, I, I didn't want to treat somebody badly. Um, I, I mentioned it earlier. I said it in every interrogation that I did. Look, I don't believe you're a bad person. You just made a bad decision. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that of most of, you know, the, the crimes that I investigated. So, yeah, it, that is definitely an interesting point that you make. Um, I hadn't really thought about it that way before. But yes. Yeah. Nice. Uh, sorry, if, if you have a, another story to tell, please do. I was like, oh, my God, I have to, you know, make this point. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's perfect. Um, I have two more short stories. So one is, um, you know, and they're both really funny for me. Um, 
So the first one was, you know, I, I used to work undercover um, and did some drug stuff. And uh, we were investigating a gang. Um, this gang was doing drugs, but they were also producing counterfeit currency. And they were, it was during Christmas, they were saturating the area. You know, like a lot of the criminals that I investigate, you uh, they're tagging each other on social media posts, there's photos. So in these photos, I was able to see not only all the known associates, but um, photos that showed the equipment and how they were doing the counterfeiting in the background. Um, you know, the bags with the Office Depot labels on them, because that's where they were, you know, getting the paper to, to print the counterfeit currency. So I was able to trace that back. Um, and so it was really interesting to see all of this. And then, you know, uh, in this case, there was an individual that we, we were looking at. Um, and he, you know, was driving a particular car. We had surveillance, you know, with this particular car car wasn't registered to him. Um, when we interviewed him, he denied knowing anything about this vehicle, um, told us, hey, this is my vehicle. This is what I, I have registered to me. Uh, we were able to then, you know, obviously pull out the photos, uh, just like you picture, you know, online when you're watching CSI, pull the photo out. Well, that's you standing in front of this car. So clearly you have a tie or a connection to that. And then, of course, the surveillance video with him driving the vehicle. But um, in that case, he just kind of looked at me <laughs> and shook his head and started laughing like he had no defense to that. And so that was just kind of a funny, you know, cat and mouse kind of thing. Like, you know, he he knew I had him right there. So um, that was interesting. And then last case or last story I'll tell. So I had a case where it was a, um, a county clerk of courts here in Ohio. And um, she basically so she was stealing money. Um, the county commissioners got wind of it, uh, brought us in to investigate. And um, through the investigation, of course, where she has no idea I'm investigating her. Typically, when I go in, I'm, you know, pulling financial records and stuff behind the scenes before anybody ever realizes that they're being investigated. Um, so I was able to see that, you know, she was getting plastic surgery. She was funding her next campaign. She had just remodeled her house. Um, and she was using county and taxpayer dollars to do all of this. So um, I saw numerous transactions for Home Depot. Um, and so I was able to take those credit card transactions to Home Depot, ask for all the itemized receipts. And, you know, this is the part where it takes some time. And so it took me sitting down with every one of those itemized receipts. And this is, you know, several years worth of, of receipts and going through each item, plugging them into the Home Depot website and seeing what item popped up. And so each one I would just print off and I had this huge stack of paper. Um, we then took some audit staff into uh, the county um, clerk of courts you know, uh, offices. I was able to show like none of this stuff was in any of the offices. So, I mean, it, we're talking toilets. We were looking at toilets for serial numbers and, you know, definitely not the fun stuff that they, they show you on TV. Um, you know, I could see that she was, you know, buying toothpaste and, uh, you know, or toothpaste holders or toothbrush holders and, um, you know, rugs, just tons and tons of these elaborate rugs. And so I took that Obviously, we didn't find, but maybe a couple items at the offices. Took all of that, pulled up her Facebook profile and her, you know, 
son-in-law actually had a completely open profile and had taken multiple photos of her house. And in those photos, I could see the rugs, I could see the lamps, I could see that, you know, everything that I had on this list that she was purchasing. And so with that, that was enough probable cause that I was actually able to get a search warrant of her residence just based on open source intelligence and social media profiles. And so that was huge. And um, the funniest part was, so I have my, my chief and we have, you know, a bunch of folks who are going to do this search warrant. And um, we walk up to the door and the doormat at the front door was actually one of the items that was stolen. So, you know, from, you know, the first thing that we see as we walk up to that house is, is stolen. And of course we recovered all kinds of stuff and um, the state was able to, to get their money back but for the agency. But so, yeah, it, was, it plays a part in a lot of things. And it's always amazing to me what people post online. So if you're going to steal stuff, don't take pictures of it. <laughs> We're we're all just one nephew's Facebook post away from going down on corruption charges. I'm a firm believer in that. Absolutely. Yep. Um I like I like that last story a lot because it really was the OSINT that got the search warrant. Um this might be a bit technical, but I've always been fascinated when you're applying for a search warrant, it's my vague understanding. You have to convince a judge that this evidence is enough evidence to warrant a search, hence the name. Um, when it comes to OSINT though, like, do you have to like do any explaining or are most judges today like tech savvy enough to understand, to, like see the connections? Like what's been your experience using OSINT to obtain a warrant or to prop up a warrant, I guess? Yeah. So in this case, I mean, obviously we had a lot of other things besides the OSINT, but um, yeah. So most judges understand Facebook outside of Facebook. They don't really understand much of anything. And so I, in, I would say a good 95% of my cases would have to sit down with a judge, explain how this works, explain that, you know, uh, depending on the site that you're getting the, the intelligence from, how that can be unique and can uniquely tie back to that individual. And so in this case, obviously, you know, I was able to print out, you know, the time-stamped photos and, and show each of the profiles to him um, and explain like, look, we did our due diligence. We looked at all the other locations. We didn't find it here. We can see it in the photos. Um, so obviously that was enough probable cause. I will say probably the bigger thing that I've had to explain um, throughout my career is IP addresses and tying, you know, IP addresses and, and indicators that are a little bit more technical than, you know, just a, a Facebook profile back to somebody. Um, Bitcoin was another one. If I had a Bitcoin case, you know, I, I really would have to sit down with the judge and give a, an hour long class on how this works and how wallets work and how it's connected to a person. Um, so there really is a lot that goes into that. And yeah, I had to do a lot of explaining in my days. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have like, I guess I'm just picturing that light bulb moment. It's like 1130 at night. You're like an hour and a half in. And this person finally understands that a Bitcoin is just a piece of data on their computer. Oh, so it's not a real coin. Yes. No, no. <laughs> like, oh, you get it. And the wallet is just a folder on their computer. Okay. <laughs> like, did that happen in real life? 
Yeah, so I actually, um, and I know you can see me right now, others can't, but I have somewhere on here, uh, down here somewhere, it's an actual, it's a challenge coin, but it looks like a Bitcoin, right? And so I used to carry one of those with me as my explanation to say, like, this is not currency, right? You can't take this to the store and sell it. That's the same concept with a Bitcoin. It's just online. It's digital. Like, um, it's the IRS basically sees it as an asset. So yeah, there were always those light bulb moments. And I actually had one judge after a case that I did, um, contacted me and said, Hey, um, you know, all that cool stuff you did with everybody else's social media profiles. Will you look at mine and see if I'm logged down? <laughs> that was my very next question. Actually. Like I'm picturing as soon as you like leave the room, they're like frantically on their computer, like checking their settings. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So I did have several people that, you know, asked me for you know, assistance to make sure that all of their stuff was locked down. Um, I, I do it for work today. Um, so it, it's always really interesting to see, you know, that light bulb click and that kind of, oh crap moment. Like, what have I done? What am I doing? What's out there about me? So yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Oh my God. What if my, what if my wife ever, ever meets Nicole? Oh man, <laughs> the, the, yes, this, the, this is dangerous knowledge. This, this is a dangerous skill set. Yep. Um, in fact, I gave a, a presentation on OSINT and social engineering at work this morning, and there were several people that reached out afterwards that were like, you know, oh my gosh, what can you find out about me? I don't know if I want to share this with you. Um, and then I had a police chief that, uh, you know, during my presentations, I would set up simple things like um, a Wi-Fi pineapple and, um, you know, showed them exactly just how easy it was. And there was one police chief that um, ordered me that whenever I was coming to his police department, I had to give him at least 10 minutes advance notice before I hit the building. So he could turn his cell phone off because he was convinced <laughs> that I could see everything he was doing. <laughs> so I just used to joke with him, like, well, what don't you want me to see? <laughs> or what, what makes you think I don't already know? Exactly. Yep. <laughs> I don't have to be in your building to see this. You realize that, right? <laughs> Yeah. So it's always, that's awesome. Um, you'd mentioned earlier kind of the stereotypical or the media portrayal of, you know, intelligence gathering in a law enforcement investigation. And you may or may not be able to answer this next question. This could be, you know, confidential information, but is there, or is there not a key on law enforcement keyboards that just says enhance so like, you know, when you got the image pulled up, I'll just, uh, in, you know, enhance that section over there and you just press that magic key. Oh, um, how I wish it was so easy like that. Yeah, there are definitely days that I wish that there were easy buttons. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, unfortunately, the CSI effect is real. And, you know, we used to get people that would say, well, why, why don't you know who it is? Like, you just need to scan their fingers and you know this fingerprints on this window right here like why can't you hunt them down just off of that um so yeah there's definitely a lot that goes into enhancing a video or a photo uh, <laughs> but no easy buttons unfortunately <laughs> nice um well nice um i guess i never really thought about the other uses of osint 
for a law enforcement investigation since, you know, my, my focus with Trace Labs has always just been the missing persons angle. You know, who are they talking to? Where, where might they be going? Why might they be going? Um, but I can definitely see some intersections in that why piece, you know, trying to understand, you know, why did a person go missing? Not just where they went, but why? Um, so I think yeah. that this, this talk has definitely made me kind of rethink or given me some things to think about, like how I go about a missing persons investigation. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and there are some people that go missing because they don't want to be found. Obviously, I'm sure you've ran across that before. And um, just looking at the background and profiling that individual based on their OSINT and what they put out there, um, you can definitely see some indicators as to why they've left. You know, is it a boyfriend? Is it, you know, work is bad or, or kids at school are making fun of them? Or um, so, yeah, there's, I guess there's always a psychological angle behind it, whether it's, you know, just a basic law enforcement investigation or it's OSINT. Um, you always, uh, it, and at least me, I always want to know the why behind everything. Yeah. You'd mentioned that you got to do um, trainings for different law enforcement groups um, around OSINT collection. Obviously, you can't train them all. Unfortunately, they're not all going to listen to this amazing podcast. Uh, <laughs> but what are, if there was like maybe one or two lessons you wish every investigator knew concerning OSINT, what would it be? Oh, gosh. Um, so I guess the one thing that um, when I would give my trainings, the light bulb moment that would go off um, most often. Um, in fact, I was, I was giving one training when this happened and we used the rest of the training to help a detective that was sitting in there. He had um, a shooting at a bar the night before and I had pulled up um, 1 million tweet maps and saw that there was this huge cluster you know, around this bar. And I'm looking out talking to the crowd and I see like he is just lighting up and um, I'm wondering why. And he's like, zoom in on that, please. Like, I need to see what this is. And sure enough, um, it was able to give him several of other eyewitnesses that either had tweeted photos or had, you know, put different information out there that um, uh, I'm told after that uh, training, he went and interviewed all these folks and it actually ended up helps helping to solve the case. So um, the lessons learned would be, uh, that I would want everybody to know is you, know, you, you have to think outside the box. The, the paperwork and the facts that you are given on a case um, is just a starting point. There's so much information that's out there that you have to dig. You really have to be the boots on the ground and do some work, you know, start digging into the OSINT um, and going and talking to people. So, um, you know, all these folks that sit behind the desk, like it just doesn't cut it. You're not going to make your case and you're not going to make a good case like that. So OSINT helps a ton. Um, but then, you know, the second thing that I, I wish that I could, you know, get every officer to understand is, you know, what information a router holds, what a, um, uh, you know, uh, Raspberry Pi is, you know, when you're doing these investigations, especially, you know, child pornography or, um, you know, a murder or a missing person, like they're so focused on the computer and the cell phone and not digging into like, you know, that's great for forensics or whatever, but there's so much other stuff that's out there for them to see. Um, and, you know, 
they, they tend not to look at the peripheral stuff that's around the computer um, as a source of intelligence. So those, those are the two things that I like consistently like to, you know, drive home when I do those investigation or those trainings. So, yeah. Nice. Um, the way I've always tried to summarize it and please correct me if I'm wrong so I can stop summarizing it incorrectly. <laughs> um, I wish that every investigator understood that an investigation is an investigation, whether it's, you know, the stereotypical, you know, law and order detectives on a street corner talking to gang members or, you know, the, the, the CSI version, like an investigation is an investigation. You know, a thing happened and you're trying to collect pieces of information that explain that happening. If you take a step back and look at everything that way, I, I think some of those things start to click. Um, you know, if there was a shooting at a bar, like you wouldn't just go talk to the people that were there. You, you, you would want to collect physical evidence. You know, is there a shell casing? Is there surveillance footage? Um, you know, you know, who was at the bar that night? Let's, let's look at credit card transactions. Like, I think a lot of those things are maybe like go-tos for a traditional investigation. But if you apply that reasoning, um, OSINT, I think makes a lot more sense. It does. Absolutely. And it's a tool in your tool belt. Every piece, everything you put on your tool belt has a job and has, you know, a, a place and a time and OSINT is, is one of those tools. And so you have to use each tool on your tool belt in order to get the most complete picture that you possibly can. Um, so you got to learn to use all the tools on your tool belt, just not a couple of them. Nice. I think it's all the questions I had for you. Anything else you have? No, I would just say that, you know, OSINT really does touch a lot of careers. It touches a lot of fields. Um, it's not just for enterprise security. It's not just for missing persons. Um, you know, we can talk about, you know, enterprise security and OSINT and enterprise security and other times that's a whole nother topic, but um, there are a lot of professions that benefit from the use of, of OSINT. And if you're not familiar with it or you don't think it applies to you, um, you know, I would just say, give it a chance. Um, and then, you know, do some motion on yourself, go look at some old photos and posts. You might be uh, surprised what you see, what you find. Or horrified. Or horrified. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think as most of us get into OSINT, we all have that sort of horrified judge moment that, you know, you and I joked about earlier. Like, oh my God, it's all out there. I got to fix this right now. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Well, Nicole, that was amazing. And I think just further proof that you're not just a security whatever, but in fact, a security and OSINT expert. So I'm glad I proved my point over the course of this episode. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me for an afternoon. Uh, where can people find you online? You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, backslash Nicole Beckwith. You can find me on Twitter at Nicole Beckwith. Um, and of course, always go give Trace Labs a follow and join one of their CTFs. Well, Nicole, thank you again for hanging out with me. I really look forward to our next conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. This has been another episode of Breadcrumbs. If you'd like to learn more, you can find us online at tracelabs.org. 
on Twitter, at Trace Labs. But if you really want to find us, just follow the breadcrumbs. 